Good morning and welcome to Hollywood United Methodist Church on this beautiful Labor Day Sunday. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us online. In a few short weeks, we hope that we'll be back together. So be looking for that homecoming Sunday on September 26th. This morning, we're really honored to have Pastor Mark Stevenson from our sister campus, Harmony Toluca Lake, joining us in worship, as well as a number of special guests who you'll meet throughout the service. We're really glad you're here as we worship God, celebrate the legacy of workers in our life on this Labor Day, and prepare to join together in a wonderful morning of song, prayer, and study. Have a great Sunday. choosing to connect with us for today's worship service. Let us now center ourselves as we go to the Lord in prayer. Beloved Creator, we come before you this morning with a myriad of joys and concerns. And among those that we bring forward, we our prayers, those, but we include those who mourn, among those being Bishop Marianne Swinson and the loved ones of Jeffs. For those facing medical and health issues, among those being Justin Salter, Melody Allison's niece, Rachel Boston's dad, 
Anna Harrington's mother, Chris Smith's dad, and Patrick Murray. Let us take a moment to lift these individuals that I've named and those who are on our hearts and minds at this time, at the moment of silence. We pray for those who have been deeply impacted by the devastating damage from Hurricane Ida, as well as the massive flooding that has occurred in the Northeast. Those dealing with the fires in Northern California and elsewhere, and who've had to evacuate, and for those who are coming to their homes to find ashes. We pray for those in Afghanistan who now face discrimination and prejudice and violence and persecution and the many, many, too many who have lost their lives, including American military personnel and allies, the scores of Afghans who have died. We lift up concerns about the fragility of Roe v. Wade going forward. This this list, Lord, it's so long and so wide and it's just seemingly endless. For those who have been named and the situation is named at this time and that has, that has been unnamed, we give them up to you and to your compassionate and caring hands, you, our Redeemer and Sustainer. Gracious God, in acknowledging that this is the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, it is an honor a true honor for us to share in your work. And we give you thanks, we give you praise as we benefit from the labor of so many people. Thank you for the good work, for the faithful service and contributions of those seen and unseen. God of justice, we pray for all workers that each receives fair compensation and fair treatment in their labor. And we pray for your wise counsel and strength when we stand up for our rights and against oppression, that of racism and sexism and way too many isms along with the systems and structures with wrongness that has been built within them May the leaders of our country and throughout the world be respectful for all labors and seek your justice and mercy in and for workplaces. We lift up those who seek work, that they may be provided jobs for both citizen and immigrant alike. And for those who can't work, Lord, may sustenance be provided. During this pandemic, God, one that has unfortunately just, it continues to rage on. May your wisdom, may your spirit lead us through, providing us with help as needed and for us to flourish, not only for ourselves, but for the common good of this world. May we be of service to you and our neighbor. We ask all these things in the name of Christ and we say, Amen.
Well, this morning, we focus on one big announcement, and that's one that Pastor Bridie shared a little bit earlier as we get a little woo-hoo-hoo, knowing, now look, in the month of September, we well know there's going to be plenty of announcements about connection opportunities and, and then the like, and that's over here at the Hollywood campus, the Harmony Toluca Lake campuses. So what's that one big announcement? Well, it is after 18 months of worship services for Hollywood and Harmony being online only, we will be celebrating Homecoming Sunday, September 26th, with our first official in-person worship service. Woohoo! Can I get some joy? Yes, yes. Now understand, gotta, let's be straight up, that we're not gonna go all hully gully on you, where anything goes. No, we're gonna be following the LA County and CDC guidelines, which now indicate that everyone over the age of two must wear a mask during worship. And in addition, very important, we're asking, if you're not vaccinated, that you worship online and not in person. We are doing our utmost best to keep everyone safe during this Delta variant surge. So as we approach Homecoming Sunday, worship services at both campuses, look, we're going to keep you posted about all the latest guidelines and protocols we're going to follow, but in the meantime, if you have any questions about what I've just shared, please email Senior Pastor Reverend Kathy Cooper Ledesma at revkathy at hollywoodumc.org or me, Pastor Mark, at mark, M-A-R-K, at hollywoodumc.org. Now, friends, all that we do, everything that we do here at Hollywood UMC and Harmony Toluca Lake, it's for the glory of God. Amen. And that's because of you. It's because of you, because of your steadfast support, your commitment for the ministries of this affirming faith community, which includes your presence, which has been online until we meet again soon or very soon, and by your prayers, your witness, your service, and your gifts. We encourage you to financially contribute as you are able, which can be in a variety of ways, uh, via the Hollywood UMC Harmony website, and that's at hollywoodumc.org. Uh, there's text to give, and also uh, there's the way of snail mail. And how is it that we should give? With cheerful hearts. With cheerful hearts, because God loves it. God loves it when we delight in the giving. Amen? And let us give with joy. Let us now receive special music from guest organist Thompson Howell.
Good morning. The following is a reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Word of God. Words of life. Thanks be to God. This idea of fasting, what does it really mean? What does it really mean to make a fast that God would want to see? And what exactly does that fast do for us? I mean, our culture is filled with all kinds of fasts that are supposed to lower our cholesterol and honestly make us skinny and all kinds of other stuff. Is that the kind of fast that Isaiah is talking about? I don't think so. And how exactly can our choices, our relationship with our faith change the world? Today's scripture lays out both the challenge of this question and a roadmap of doing so for praying people. The opening line from today's scripture from Isaiah, which my home state Iowan Tim read so beautifully, is probably quite familiar to you. It's in fact the most common heard part of this passage. Is this not, or is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free? and to break every yoke. This passage is beautiful and compelling. It's an exhortation against worship and faith practice that doesn't really honor God or our faith. And Isaiah, he's quite kind to us. He doesn't mess around with riddles or coded messaging or all of our favorites, a parable. He is very clear. The kind of worship that God is looking for, that God requires, is action and choices that honor our faith and address the struggle and suffering of others. And through this work, 
allow our own transformation and powerful spiritual journey to unfold. Isaiah explores what could be possible, the kind of personal healing we would experience, the kind of world we could build if we worship God in the most direct way, a way that Jesus calls us to. Instead of building false altars, we are called to choose to lay the foundation of a new kind of place, a beloved community. On this Labor Day weekend, which honors both the dignity of work and workers, and lifts up the wonderful things that workers have won for us in society, hello, eight-hour workday and the three-day weekend and family health insurance, and let us not forget OSHA. I wanted to take a moment to explore the rich history of Methodist uh, working for economic and worker justice. There are many ways we as a people of faith have been steadily building the foundation of the beloved community, seeking together to loose the chains of injustice and to break every yoke. Now you'll see here this beautiful painting of my homeboy, John Wesley, who I, as a Methodist nerd, am unashamed to say I've been hanging with since I was about 15. The people called Methodists have a long history of being involved in the struggle of worker and economic justice. You could say it originates in the very beginning of our movement. When John and Charles Wesley, the founding fathers, though there were many women involved of our religious movement, began their ministry at the beginning of the 18th century, the world was in a rapid and advanced state of change. England was in the grips of the Industrial Revolution. People of all ages, both sexes, were working around the clock in factories that were filthy and dangerous. There were a few to workplace protections, no child labor laws, certainly no minimum wage. It was capitalism at its most exploitative, and people were very poor. And they couldn't really participate in church life because they were working every single day. So John, a young pastor, took the church to them, much to the um, consternation of the church, which, the existing Anglican church, which preferred people to come inside the walls. He began preaching and providing sacraments in the public square, and that's what this painting reflects, encouraging folks um, to start their own study groups at home and in house meetings, and encouraging all to participate in justice works for their neighbor. He even licensed regular old people to preach, including women. John Wesley's primary call for the church was to be with the poor in all ways. An excellent article that was published in the Asbury Journal in 2015 by George Hendricks and Elton Hendricks notes this. Among Wesley's personal concerns and activities which he urged among his Methodist followers were collecting money for the poor, providing them with food, clothing, free medical services, creating a get-back-on-your-feet micro-loan service, distributing inexpensive informational publications to the poor to help them develop a useful trade, and help in getting a job. Wesley also created educational opportunities for the poor. Now, I'm not gonna talk a lot more about Wesley, but if you haven't looked at his ministry, you should, because the DNA is stamped all over the church. It is embedded in how we understand our work of doing justice. Truly leaning into Isaiah's roadmap of engaging with the hungry and building community with those who suffer. From the very beginning, the people called Methodists have answered a deep call and a desire to be with working people. The early Methodists themselves were not wealthy. Many of them were working people. 
But they were called, as Isaiah says, to make a different kind of fast. Their powerful work was not required by God for salvation, but rather a response to their faith, an outpouring from the grace that they so gladly received. And the church grew as it engaged in the powerful work of living Christ's witness in the world. It flourished. This element of our faith journey together as Methodist people has continued over the centuries. Probably, now you can, can tag me on this if you think I'm wrong, but probably because the exploitation of workers, of women, of children, of immigrant labor, of every group that is not the group in power, has continued. And so this call to take on a new fast, to lay a new foundation, is as relevant today as it was when Isaiah prophesied it, and it's as true as when Jesus called us to love our neighbor. Jesus made it pretty clear where we are supposed to be in our work in the world. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Our church is clear in its convictions that work is a means of stewardship and God-given creativity, and that all human beings deserve dignity and justice in the workplace. In early 20th century America, poor labor conditions prompted the Methodist church of the time to pen a social creed, spelling out the rights of workers. Methodist clergy gathered together and penned the social creed, the first of its kind written by any denomination. We should be proud. In 1908, over 100 years ago, in response to the suffering and exploitation that they were seeing of workers in mills and factories, men, women, and children, Four years later, President Theodore Roosevelt was giving speeches lifting up directly from the social creed, repeating whole passages. This is what our church believes. The Methodist Episcopal Church stands for equal rights and complete justice for all people in all stations of life. For the principle of conciliation and arbitration and industrial dissensions, for the protection of the worker from dangerous machinery, occupational diseases, injury, and mortality, for the abolition of child labor, for such regulation of the conditions of labor for women as shall safeguard the physical and moral health of the community. Does anybody hear some implied initial language around protecting women from sexual harassment and assault on the workplace? Hey, church for the suppression of the sweating system, for the gradual and reasonable reduction of hours of labor to the lowest practical point with work for all, and for the degree of leisure for all, which is the condition of the highest human life, for a release from employment one day in seven, for a living wage in every industry, for the highest wage that each industry can afford and for the most equitable division of the products of industry that can ultimately be devised. And for the recognition of the golden rule in the mind of Christ as the supreme law of society and the sure remedy of all social ills. Now, I grew up in the Methodist church. I grew up with the Book of Discipline. I read the social principles, which we have now, which are based on the social creed. I had never read this version of it. And when I was 17 years old, I traveled to Washington, D.C. as part of a program, and I took a time by myself, and I visited the United Methodist building on Capitol Hill, the only religious building in that governing space of our nation, directly across the street from the Supreme Court. 
I entered into the lobby, and hanging on the wall, as long as the wall is long, is this version of the social creed. And something gripped my heart that day. All the things I knew about Jesus and Jesus' invitation to be a part of transforming the world, all these things that had been living in my heart as a young person had been articulated so powerfully by people who came 100 years before me and were guiding the work of our church in the world. I have to say, I think something happened that day that led me to the pulpit in this moment. Because not only do I serve as your pastor, many of you also know that I'm a community and labor organizer. And for me, that is a ministry deeply rooted in my Christian faith. And my church has got my back. Over the years, people have said to me, Pastor Bridie, that was in 1908. <laughs> we don't really need to worry about unions anymore. The church shouldn't be involved. It's too political. We fixed all the worker issues. <laughs> I wish that was true. And I, you know, I th you think I'm joking, but I've had this, this talk many, many times with people. Good people, good-hearted people. I wish that were true. I wish that was the case. I pray every single day so that that would be the case. But even in a country as wealthy as this one, where the right to organize is federally protected, where the churches support it, one in four workers is illegally fired for standing up for the rights to fight and form a union. And those are the ones that we can prove in court. Many people work full-time in difficult and dangerous conditions, and they cannot make rent. And I know that you know people who live that life. Many people must choose between medicine or putting food on the table or sending support to their families. In the state of California, one of the wealthiest places in the world, families are often just one major medical disaster away from bankruptcy or homelessness. The Me Too movement has reminded us how women still are not safe at work, how every industry is possible to, for workers to be exploited, and how much work is left to do. We support labor unions as a community of faith because we know that with a union contract, workers have access to full family health care. Their wages are often 20% higher after they achieve the contract, which raises working people above the poverty line and workers have a say in shaping their work and ensuring its safety and dignity. They allow people a voice which is a sacred gift from God, and we must protect and fight for it. Breaking the silence, speaking truth to power is in our calling, it's in our religious DNA, and it's in the scripture. Because we know that when we do, God is with us. This is our witness, our powerful witness, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. From the red ribbons posted boldly on our bell tower, our unapologetic stance on full inclusion of LGBT people, folks in our church and in our denomination, and our long solidarity with houseless brothers and sisters right here in our neighborhood, this church in the hall of Hollywood has been unafraid to enter into the struggle for justice and to take on a different kind of fast. On this Sunday of Labor Day weekend, I would like to invite you to focus your fast and your faith practice on some of our neighbors right here in Hollywood. For more than a year, workers at the Chateau Marmont Hotel, an iconic Hollywood hotel frequented by the most elite members of our community, have been struggling to survive during the pandemic. Even before the pandemic began, workers were documenting severe abuses at the hotel, 
including allegations of racial discrimination, sexual misconduct, and harassment. Since then, more than the 200 Chateau Marmont workers were fired and left without health care at the beginning of the pandemic. Some of them had worked there for more than 40 years. And most of those workers have not been called back to their jobs, even as the economy reopens and the law requires it. This morning, I would like to share with you the powerful testimony of Thomasina Gross. Tommy is an actor and a former worker at the Chateau Marmont who has become a silence breaker, all capital letters, bringing forward into the public eye what the Chateau Marmont has tried to keep hidden through a series of required documents where employees are made to sign non-disclosure agreements and binding arbitration agreements. Her choice to tell her story is a sacred one, but it has been extremely difficult to do. And so we are very proud that she is sharing it with us today. We have her on video. Um, we want to keep everybody safe because of COVID, and this is one of the ways we're doing that. So please join me in receiving her story now. Hi there, I'm Thomasina Gross, and I'm a performer. I've performed on stage and on screen for over 20 years, and I've been so lucky to call LA home for more than half of it. So thank you so much for having me here today. Like so many other performers and artists I know, I've also worked in the hospitality industry as an event server, events captain, bartender, whatever I could do to make ends meet between acting jobs. It's a regular thing, right? For artists to juggle jobs in entertainment and then the service industry, and that was especially normal for the last hotel I worked at, which was the Chateau Marmont. Most, if not all of my coworkers, were trying to make it as artists, and we all made our money in the meantime by serving Hollywood clientele who wined and dined at the Chateau. The entertainment industry has been going through a major reckoning recently around its deeply ingrained racism and sexism. And that reckoning is absolutely necessary. I've learned that some of the same forces of racism and sexism that keep black women from positions of prestige and make sexual harassment acceptable are also pervasive in the hospitality industry. And after putting up with those forces at my job for two and a half years of my life, I finally filed a lawsuit against Chateau Marmont earlier this year. As I allege in my lawsuit, I was a very experienced server. My managers regularly left me alone to supervise events and in in spite of my experience, skills, actual managerial responsibilities, I was passed over for a promotion to an actual supervisory position three different times in favor of white people, who I then had to train in some way and get them acclimated to their property. Not only that, as I allege in my lawsuit, I was also touched improperly by guests on a near daily basis while I was circling food through the crowd. And when I complained to my managers over and over again about the guests touching, they would say things like, that's part of the job. They pay a lot of money to be here and we just want them to feel at home here. The Chateau calls itself a safe haven. But in my experience, that was only true for the guests. And I know now that how I was treated was unacceptable in any context, 
whether in the entertainment industry or in the service industry. So I worked up the courage to file this lawsuit. I'll end with this. I also really cherished parts of my work at Chateau. I loved my coworkers, some whom I became really close friends with. I loved taking quiet moments before events and sitting on the rooftop with them and looking out the view downtown. They made my days easier. They were my reason I came back every day. And I'm here, I'm sharing my story with you because I care so deeply about all of those people and how we were treated. And I wanna change the culture at Chateau. I want Chateau and all of Hollywood to respect the dignity of all of its workers, actors, servers, everyone else, regardless of race and gender. And I want work environments to be safe and equal because that's what every person deserves. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your support. Choosing to bring the voice of Tommy and other workers like her into the pulpit is an important statement of our faith that every voice matters, that the story is sacred. Thank you, Tommy, for your courage and sharing your story with us and for breaking the silence, for telling the story that must be told. After Tommy and another coworker brought forward claims of racial discrimination and harassment and filed their claim in the California State Court, the Chateau Marmont demanded that they dismiss their lawsuits and refile them in private arbitration, pointing to the arbitration agreements that they had signed in their hiring paperwork. The Chateau then threatened to sue them. I want to explain a little bit about why forced arbitration that the Chateau is insisting on here is unfair and unacceptable and why it's particularly unfair to black women with race discrimination or sexual harassment claims, like Tommy and her coworker. We generally assume in the United States that if our legal rights have been violated, we can bring a lawsuit into court to assert our rights. That's what we've been taught. But if our rights were violated at work, that is actually not usually true. This is because more than half of American workers and 65% of workers in California are made to sign forced arbitration agreements as a condition of employment. If you want the job, you gotta sign. Arbitration is a private court system in which the plaintiff is deprived of a jury trial and the plaintiff's claims are decided by the paid arbitrator instead of a judge. And guess who pays the arbitrator? The company. Arbitration is um, one problem with forced arbitration system is that workers' claims are addressed also behind closed doors with no public record. In state court, legal filings and decisions are publicly accessible. In arbitration, they are not. And as a result, the media, other workers, and the broader public may never learn of the legal claims and cannot help uh, hold repeat offenders accountable. This secrecy that is the core of forced arbitration is the exact opposite of the demands for accountability that we have heard from the Me Too and Black Lives Matter movements. Keeping abuses hidden allows those abuses to continue. 
The injustices of forced arbitration disproportionately affect women workers and black workers who are among the most likely to be bound by forced arbitration clauses. And making matters even worse for women and black workers, if they do take their cases to arbitration, they will most likely have their case decided by a lone white man. Based on the demographics of who actually serves as arbitrators, I think it's something like less than 5% are women of color or black women. In contrast, in state court, Tommy would be entitled to a jury of her peers. In Los Angeles, a city where half the population is female and three quarters are people of color, she'd much more likely be able to be heard by people who understood her life. This matters because as US Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor once said, personal experiences affects the facts that judges choose to see. This is an injustice that reinforces why it's such a remarkable act of courage and conscience that Tommy is speaking out and challenging the Chateau's discrimination and harassment. Binding arbitration agreements have come into public uh, spotlight recently as Scarlett Johansson seeks to take Disney to court over breach of contract around issues related to fair compensation and other things on the release of her most recent film. The response of her employer has been to try and force her into private binding arbitration and it has been on the cover of every newspaper and in all the trades. You guys have seen it, right? If a wealthy, affluent, world-renowned actress has these challenges, imagine how difficult it is for hospitality workers, black women hospitality workers, to get justice facing wealthy and powerful employees. You have heard the voice of Tommy. You have received her story. Now the question that Isaiah poses to us is what will you do? There are so many ways that we as modern day Methodists can stand with workers and show our support. The, force, the first is that we can be a part of the faith practice of being in intimate solidarity. Our faith calls us to be with people in their struggle. This may mean that sometimes we have to let go of our own comfort to prioritize the realities of other people's experiences. When people like Tommy entrust us with their stories of racist discrimination and harassment, we must believe them. We must listen deeply. We must uplift and center the voices of black women and demand that these voices be heard and that they receive justice. And those that perpetuate racist discrimination, we gotta hold them accountable. We must tell others what we know. We can't let it be a secret. When the workers take a risk, being in intimate solidarity means that we will accompany them both spiritually and physically on their journey. So you can start by sharing what you have heard today about the Chateau with others, especially those you might know who frequent the hotel. It has a really large local clientele. You can invite Tommy or one of her coworkers to come and share their story with your community. You can also join her coworkers when they gather to demonstrate on the picket line or at prayer vigils and in spaces like our church when they come to tell their truth. A recent powerful act of solidarity occurred when producer Aaron Sorkin and the cast of his biopic on Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz pulled the entire production that they had planned to shoot at the Chateau Marmont from that location rather than cross the picket line of struggling workers. As a consumer, you also have the power of the purse. Because of the many issues they have faced, the workers have called for a boycott of the Chateau Marmont until they are rehired in accordance with their legal rights and treated with dignity and respect. Refuse to eat, sleep, or drink with the Chateau Marmont until the workers there receive the treatment that they deserve. 
Make that refusal count by signing this pledge of support. Sign it anyway, even if you're not a regular attendee. I know I don't go there very often. It's almost $1,000 a night. <laughs> this kind of support does matter. More than 800 people have signed the pledge, including Jane Fonda, Alfonso Cuaron, Virginia Madsen, Spike Lee, Aaron Sorkin, and little Stevie Van Zandt. But mostly it's signed by people like you and me, and that means everything to the workers who are trying to change the culture inside. And finally, do as the scripture calls us to do. Pour yourself out. Be of service. Bring the power of your faith to the table. Pray for the workers at the chateau. Testify why your faith supports and uplifts the dignity of work and labor to others who may not agree. Teach your children about Jesus, the carpenter, about how he worked with both his hands and his heart and how he healed us all with saving grace. Allow your light to rise in the darkness and your gloom to be as noonday. This work is a powerful one after all. God is inviting us to join in the work of being the repairer of the breach. What a great title that is. I should have used that for my sermon, repairer of the breach. Taking on such large forces is no joke. And yet we do it every day as people of faith. Workers do it every day in the workplaces they're trying to change so that we can all live better lives. Many will tell you it is because they know that God wants something more for them, that God wants justice for them, that God wants good lives for them, and truly God does. God has sent us on a journey of faith, but we are never alone. God is our constant companion in building a new future. We are not expected to know how to do it. In fact, we can't, but we know that we don't have to worry because the Lord will guide us continually. The Lord will satisfy our needs in parched places and make our bones strong. And when you're thirsty, you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. And we will do this work together, day by day, story by story, action by action. We are laying a new foundation right here in the heart of Hollywood in the city of angels. Thank you so much and have a happy Labor Day. I hope at home you've taken a moment to grab yourself a cracker, a little cup of juice, bread. We invite you to share in this most incredible of holy meals. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread. He offered it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me.
And when all had eaten their fill, he took the wine and he poured it out and he offered it to each of the disciples and turned saying, take, drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Gracious and loving Father, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on those of us gathered here on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And pour your spirit over this entire congregation, those gathered here, those in distant places, those longing to return. And let them know that you are the food and the spirit of life. We are ever grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who taught us how to live, to pray, to walk, to sing, to chant, to march, and to call for change, and who taught us this prayer in your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The table has been set, the bread has been broken, and in the United Methodist Church, this table is open to all. Everyone is welcome, not despite of who you are, but because of who you are, because you are a blessed child of God. We welcome now to participate in the feast. You know what, why don't we just break this one and then we'll take a little cracker. Friends, receive this benediction. 
May God, the creator of the universe, maker and shaper of all things, bless your labor as well as your rest. May the Son of God, the Son of a carpenter, bless all of the work that you do. And may the Holy Spirit, ever working for the new creation, bless your service and keep you in God's holy purpose of love now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.